This edition of the Ortho Show, Alt AAOS, is brought to you by Kairos North America. Kairos are excited to be launching their new Infinity Lock button system, a super simple, super fast ACJ repair system. No coracoid drilling, high strength, low stress, less time. Check out the Infinity Lock and Kairos other new innovations at kairosna.com. That's X-I-R-O-S-N-A dot com. From Medical Media, this is The Ortho Show. Okay, hello world. Your favorite opioid-sparing orthopedic surgeon here, Dr. Scott Sigmund, to host another awesome episode of The Ortho Show podcast. We're going to call this one the Big Boys episode. We have a very special guest, very well known within the orthopedic world, Dr. Vin Dasa, who is the Vice Chairman of Academic Affairs at LSU Health Sciences Center, Department of Orthopedics, Chief Medical Officer of Site Medical, a member of Ortho Founders, uh, also a, a big part of Swift Path, which we'll uh, definitely get into. But one of my favorite uh, titles for this man is that he is a LinkedIn top voice. So, Mika, you better call right now. Call LinkedIn. Tell those boys they better power up their servers because when this airs, it's going to be pretty amazing. So, hey, Vin, how are you, brother? What's going on, Scott? Good to see you. Good to see you too, man. We spend uh, we get to spend a fair amount of time together. We uh, have a, the sort of a very similar paths along some of the things that we do, but uh, it's a real pleasure to have you on. So, you know, New Orleans sucks right now, huh? Yeah. You know, I think Mardi Gras uh, did not help. Yeah. And, you know, in, in fairness to the leaders here, uh, I don't think they had any clue. Uh, and so, you know, we had a lot of fun, but I think we're paying the price now. So it, it's unfortunate. But I'll tell you, the folks here in New Orleans, they are pretty strong. So all the health systems here, uh, the physicians, ER, first responders, you name it, uh, they are doing a killer job and, uh, and keeping us safe. So. That's really great to hear because I know people are really worried about you guys down there. You know, New York is bad, Detroit is bad, and, and you guys have had it bad too. Are you uh, are, are you an orthopedic surgeon or are you running around in the hospital? What's going on with you, your residents and staff? No, so I think uh, I'm in the same boat as most of the orthopedic surgeons. You know, in the beginning, there was a lot of uh, interest in us potentially helping out and we're trying to figure out where we would fit. Um, and then as that was starting getting dialed up, there were some orthopedic surgeons at, at some of the hospitals who were helping out kind of frontline checking temperatures and, you know, those kinds of things. Um, but thankfully, you know, we didn't get to where we thought it was going to go. Uh, you know, we had the convention center uh, uh, re-outfitted uh, to handle the surge of patients and a bunch of other contingencies where I think we would have been called in as kind of the second, uh, the bench coming off the bench. Um, but luckily we didn't get there. So I think I'm in the same boat as most of you guys. Good. So are the hospitals able to handle it? Has there been spillover to these other centers or not needed? There was a little drip, a little bit of overflow, but we got, I think that it peaked and then started coming down right at the right time. If you, if there is a right time uh, for us. And so we actually didn't necessarily need all the contingencies that we were starting to put in place. So yeah, uh, so the timing worked out, I guess, from that perspective. This is great for the listeners to hear because that's one of our premises of this whole show is that we want to get information directly to our listeners rather than 
than, you know, reading or hearing the news. I mean, you turn on the news and it's just catastrophic. It's the end of the world. And, you know, there was a great report I just read from an Israeli uh, virologist who basically studied uh, this whole thing around the world and basically says in the countries, whether they, they uh, did social distancing or not, it's an eight-week virus pro, uh, sort of profile. It goes crazy up until about six weeks, and then it sort of dies off and drops down into the eight-week. And it didn't really matter what country you're in. So I just think it's great for people to hear that despite the fact that New Orleans has been hit badly, you're you're on the upswing. And New Orleans, man, if the New Orleans people – one thing about you guys, you can rally, man. It seems like there are some natural disasters coming your way like all the time. Man, we just get hit left and right. It could be natural disasters. It could be the NFL. It could be COVID. <laughs> yeah, you guys are still pissed you, about that you penalty, aren't you? It, man. We, we just seem to be getting pissed on no matter which way you look. So I don't know what's going on. All right, I got to tell one of my favorite New Orleans stories before we dive in. So, uh, so you know Bill Levine. Everybody knows Bill Levine. He's the chairman of orthopedics at Columbia. So we were co-chief residents together at the Tufts program up in Boston. And so Bill was destined for greatness early on. He literally wrote this amazing paper with, J- with J.R. Richmond that got published in JBJS on shoulder instability. I forget what it was. It didn't matter. But he basically got the podium down at the academy, and he was going to present this paper so we're down there. It's me and my buddy, Ramin Modaber, who's a orthopedic surgeon out in Los Angeles, doctor to the stars. Love you, Mo. And uh, so you go out the night before. And, you know, what happens in New Orleans, it can get a little out of control. And, you know, next thing you know, we wake up. It's like 11 o'clock the next morning. His talk was at 9. So, so to this day, Bill Levine sends Ramin and I an email prior to the academy to let us know exactly what talks he's going to be in to make sure that we do not walk in accidentally. <laughs> Oh my god! So I feel like there are reruns of Hangover happening in New Orleans just about every week. So it's, yeah, uh, that, that, that's the deal. Love you, Bill. Appreciate you, man. All right. So the first thing I want to talk about because you and I are both really very prolific on LinkedIn. We have a a large following. We feel compelled to be able to message. I love it. Uh, I'm very passionate about it. Tell me what what you love about LinkedIn and why why you post nearly every day. I'll tell you, you know, one of my biggest frustrations, I think, collectively, us as physicians, we do a very poor job of telling people what we think and why we think. We're supposed to keep quiet, right? Just put put your head down and, and grind away. And so I think the public really does not understand how physicians think and, and why we think what we think and, and what they need to know from our perspective. And it's been completely enlightening for me about the you know, and I was never a big social media person, Facebook and Twitter and all. I didn't need, I didn't think I needed to tell everybody how, how often I was going to the bathroom and stuff like that. Um, and so I really felt, I think at a professional level, LinkedIn was this really unique platform to allow people to get inside the head of physicians. It's such a huge part of the economy. I mean, we represent 20% of the GDP, yet no one, no one has any clue about how physicians think, uh, or let alone a lot of health, folks in healthcare. Um, and so I think when we start empowering physicians and, and various healthcare workers, and we allow them or allow the public to really understand the issues uh, that we think are relevant, maybe not necessarily what the politicians are saying or what you're hearing on the news, but in the on the ground, in the trenches, the stuff that we see day in and day out, um, I think we potentially can move the needle when it comes to issues in healthcare. And so when I started, I, I just dabbled. And then all of a sudden, I got this huge prolific response from all corners of the world, whether it's a HVAC mechanic repair person uh, to a pilot 
to other physicians. I mean, you name it. And uh, it, was, it was really interesting. It, it was an eye opener for me. Yeah, I mean, it's interesting. There's two things that I really like about how you, uh, uh, you, you take on LinkedIn. First and foremost, you're willing to comment on anything, which is great. I mean, you're literally like, look, I'm a doc, but I'm still a dude. I'm a guy. I've got an opinion about these things and I'm going to let you know about it. So just like you said, you've got the, the, these people from all different uh, walks of life that, that want to follow and hear from you. The other thing that's really important. And, and I, I, I really don't think that a lot of doctors really get social media and what they can do to be able to, you know, sort of get their voice across is you do it on your own, which I really like. I mean, this is from your heart. You write it down yourself. I can tell you're not having anybody script anything for you. And when you give a post, it's like, this is my opinion. So, so just walk us through that. Do you really, is it important for you to be able to message in your own words? I think, I think it's hugely important. You know, you, you read on LinkedIn and you see on LinkedIn, all these kind of pre-manufactured posts, you know, I, I'm happy to see an elephant pushing a little baby up the hill of a, a river and, and things like that. And I think that's that's cool. And, you know, it's inspiring to some instance, but we've got a lot of problems we need to solve. There are a lot of issues, especially now of all times. And so, you know, I think we need some kind of kind of pure, genuine, sincere dialogue uh, that's going on that hasn't been run through some PR mill. Uh, and that way, you know, we check the boxes and make sure that uh, people are, are hearing what people think they want to hear. Um, and again, I think the voice of physicians, we have an extremely important role to play, uh, not only in COVID, but, you know, just in society in general. And so I think part of the issues we're seeing right now with COVID and everything else is because we haven't had a voice. And so when I talk about health disparities, right, and there are differences in outcomes purely because of this color of your skin. That's important to know, and you're seeing it play out now, right? I mean, there's so many things we need to address, and, and we really need to have the perspective of, of the folks that are in the trenches um, that we really don't get, and, and we really need to do a better job with that. Yeah, you know, it's, what's interesting now is that we've, we're gaining a voice that it, that really wasn't as powerful before. I mean, before we go to a, we go to meetings, we meet you at the academy, or the, the, the reps would come and see you in the operating room or through your office. But now this medium in particular is just such an amazing communication tool. Uh, I mean, I'm sure you're hanging out with your buds and doing some virtual happy hours and stuff as well. Most people are doing that, which is lots of fun. But it's still an amazing way now to be able to message uh, to to everyone that's involved in healthcare. And it's just amazing how different we're going to practice medicine when we come out of this. What do you, what do you think? No, I agree. I think um... – I don't even know where to start in terms of all the all the different layers of this onion uh, that are going to be peeled away. You know, I, was, I actually had a call, a call with my accountant and he was giving me stories from other industries uh, and, and other businesses about how complex the issues are um, for for at, at every level. You know, whether it's a CEO all the way down to the you know person, parking attendant that's uh, in the valet uh, parking uh, for a restaurant or something like that. It's incredible, uh, I think, the, the damage uh, and the uh, kind of the, the, post, the post-mortem analysis that we have to do uh, once this is over. I mean, I heard uh, I was on a webinar earlier today, a master's class, and the J&J numbers came out for what they're predicting as to how orthopedics is going to be revived. And they have this the prediction that in the fourth quarter of this year that we're going to be nearly fully ramped up and rolling. I I don't see it. I, I mean, 
you know, let's let's talk about like we were talking about something today. So if you're going to see your normal number of patients, right? If you're going to start operating, running two rooms and operating on 10 people a day, those patients have actually had to come into your office to be seen. That's right. So how are we going to fit, you know, a hundred people in a, in a waiting room right now? It's just not happening. So you have to think about that. Where are you going to put people? Yeah, no, I mean, and the other thing is the facilities have to be able to accommodate this. Again, so I put a post up about it's not just what I want and what the CEO of the hospital wants. There's a lot of people in between. We've got uh, we've got nurses, we've got circulators, we've got environmental services, we've got supply chain, we've got materials management, we've got a lot of folks. So are you going to burn the candle at both ends? I mean, you going to have any OR staff left by Q4 to do any cases? Yeah, I I I just don't see it. I mean, I think we're going to ramp up. It's going to be a slow ramp up, uh, but this and and you know, but the going back to this normal. Oh yeah, we're just going to turn the lights on. It, it's now you know it's now January fifteenth. Go see your eighty patients today and and get all your cases done. I, I just don't see it happening. So you know, we we're discussing it in our practice. You know, I'm a private practice. We got eleven guys in the group, uh, but we you know we're we're developing strategies right now to emerge. I mean, what are we going to do? Well, you definitely got to do telemedicine. Has to be a major player coming out of this thing. We're going to do uh, we're going to do uh, physical therapy platform as well, where we're going to be able to monitor patients better. Hopefully, be able to watch their outcomes better, uh, and be able to help out. We just did a nice show on that, uh, and then and then it's going to be you know where does everything fall in? I mean, I, I don't know about you, but I still like seeing my patients, and I, I'm certainly not going to operate on somebody that I haven't physically met before. Uh, so I think we're going to have to find a mix somewhere in, in the middle. You know, and I think all of us are going to have to really decide who do you really need to physically see in the office? Because if you're seeing that person, that means they're taking a spot from someone else, right? And so if you want to get your volume ramped up, you really need to see this post-op patient or can you do it remotely, right? And free up that office spot so you can book the surgery. So I think we're going to relook at, at kind of the traditional uh, way we've been doing business and, and probably redefine, you know, what, what we need to do. Yeah. I mean, even, even the telemedicine things are kind of a pain in the ass, right? I mean, like you got to log on and then they've got to log on and then you're sitting there waiting and you're hoping. And so it's like, so we're going to need people that basically are going to man the computers for us for telemedicine so that we could potentially go see a live person. And then by the time we come back to the computer, everything's set up and then you just have to talk. It may almost be like a control room at NBC Nightly News, right? You got a producer and they're switching between cameras yeah. and, and you're sitting there and they're flipping the cameras over to you, you know, so you're, you're not burning time. Right. So yeah, that's I, it. I had a couple of telemedicine visits, you know, you're sitting there, you log in, then they log in, then they're on mute. They don't understand how to unmute. Then the video goes off and, and they're, you're staring at them. And it was just this nonsense. And, you know, I also look at it again from, from my perspective in Southern Louisiana, you know, who's got the resources to do this? You know, I, honestly, I've got patients whose kids, you know, their kids are in homeschool and they're eating up all the bandwidth for their Wi-Fi. Sure. So when they're trying to get on Zoom, it's like this stutter thing that's going on. And, and then do you, do you hang up on them? You know, or do you keep going? There's so much around this telemedicine stuff that we need to figure out. Well, I mean, and we will. I mean, we'll be, we'll get facile. I mean, I remember, you know, EMR first came out. It was like, oh God, I'm clicking every button. If I have to click one more thing, I'm going to shoot myself. But we're pretty good at that now. We've got it down and we can do macros and things like that. So I, I definitely believe that we can learn it. And I think the people that have been doing telemedicine for a while, we did a survey today on the previous webinar and, and, Literally 70% of people that were listening started uh, telemedicine three weeks ago. 
<laughs> so, so, so it's like, you know, we'll get there. And, you know, Mike Grywe, we had on, he's awesome with Ortho yep. Live. And, you know, so there's, there's ways and we'll learn it. I'm, I'm confident in that, but I don't see us returning to a normal, I mean, as a sports medicine orthopedic surgeon, I, I think I'm screwed. I'll be perfectly honest. I mean, you know, who's going to, who wants to get the rotator cuff done? You've been out of work for two months, right? I mean, in, nobody's, nobody's doing sports and nobody has anything that hurts anymore because they're just all sitting at home and not, not doing repetitive <laughs> there stuff. There you go. <laughs> Everybody feels better. So I'm, I'm like, I'm hoping this podcast gig works out. That's all I can say. <laughs> um, all right. So I want to, we'll, we'll keep moving around a little bit, but one of the things that I admire about you, which is pretty unique, uh, is that you found a way to bridge academics, academic orthopedics, and entrepreneurship. So so talk to me about that, because sometimes I think there can be a little conflict at the academic level for what you can and can't do, but just, just walk us through that. Yeah, you know, I'll tell you, LSU uh, is a phenomenal uh, institution, and I think if you balance things the right way, and you'll fulfill all the obligations that you have on the academic side. You know, you have, you have to create the bandwidth and you have to be efficient with your time. You know, so I, I agree with you. It's, it's not the easiest thing to balance teaching with research, with being clinically active and, and, and trying to solve, you know, business issues. Um, it hasn't been easy. Um, but I think if, if you understand your strengths and you understand your weaknesses and you can delegate appropriately, you don't try to micromanage, you understand you know, where to spend your time and where you bring value, you can, you can do it. it it's, it's not, it, it's not easy, but, um, but it's doable. All right. So let's shift gears and, and move over to site medical. Cause you're doing some really cool stuff there and, and the logistics aspect of what's happening. So I always love to, to talk to entrepreneurs and get a sense of where they start, you know? So what was the problem? Why did you think you needed to open a business? So the problem was, you know, we've got, we've got a lot of issues in the operating room. And I think, and you know, if you look, if you take a step back, honestly, if you take a stake, take a, a step back today in 2020 and you look at how the OR functions, all the workflows and processes, it has not changed since like 1980, maybe even 1970. Right. You know, the sure. one, the, the one example that boggles my mind is, you know, we've got the blue wraps for our trace, right. With the instruments in it. And I saw a rep one day trying to figure out, you know, the, the trays were miswrapped or mislabeled. I'm sorry. And I was like, uh, and he took it and he started shaking it in the hallway. And I was like, that's kind of strange. And I said, what are you doing? <laughs> he was he to said, figure out the, by the noise what was in that, it. He memorized the noise <laughs> of the tray. Right. It's 2020. How ridiculous is that? That is, yeah, that's ridiculous. That I is mean, totally ridiculous. So you have to shake a tray in, in healthcare. You know, people think we've got robots and lasers and, you know, all kinds of stuff. And you're the laser guy, right? Right, and yet, right, right. We're shaking a tray to figure out what's inside. It's impressive that he was able to memorize the sound. <laughs> I mean, to me, you know, so if you take a step back, that's just ridiculous. Yeah. We got cars right. that drive by themselves. And so right, anyway, right. so if you look at healthcare to me and the way the OR functions, it's, it's just it, it, it's amazing to me. So there's a tremendous amount of value if you can solve some of these issues. Um that all the stakeholders, whether you're a rep or vendor, or hospital, supply chain, surgeon, sweat tech, you name it, everyone is desperate to fix these problems. Everyone recognizes there's issues. And so if you can connect the dots, you can get people to kind of back off from their biases and take a step back and, and look at things from a different lens. It's, there's a tremendous amount of opportunity there, no matter what industry you're in, whether it's healthcare or retail or what have you. 
So, so you're working on this project, right? And you've been 2015. Is that what's going on? Yeah, around 2014. Yeah, 2014. Yeah. And you you were really picking up. You were getting some steam going now, right? Before yeah. the whole pandemic thing. Before the and, whole pandemic thing. Yeah, you're right. Yeah, and now I think there's even greater role. Right. This is this is like a this is like God shaking the trees in a windstorm, right? And all the branches get knocked out, you know. And it's like, okay, we're going to wake up and we're, we're cleaner, we're better, and now let's try and do something new and different. So you should really have a role going forwards. Tell us about that. So I'll tell you. I think what everyone realizes is the way we are going to do business after COVID, just like you you mentioned, is going to be different. It, the roles, expectations, responsibilities are going to be different. Um, and so you're right. The, this has completely opened everybody's eyes to the opportunities that are out there. Uh, we've got to change logistics. We've got to change how the OR functions. We've got to make it more efficient. We've got to make it more value conscious for everybody. Um, and if you, and I think what's unique about what we've created, and you know, I'm gonna obviously I'm biased, is we've figured out a way where there's a win for everybody where we're able to automate the last mile of the logistics process, which then frees up a lot of bandwidth for people to go do what they need to do. And we're not kicking anybody out of the OR. We're not moving anybody around. We're making everybody more efficient uh, and able to accomplish what they need to accomplish. The biggest hurdle is surgeons. As with as anybody will tell you, we are the biggest pains in oh, the butt. I'm ridiculous. To, to deal with. Exactly. So we want it our way and this is the only way and you can't tell me otherwise. You know, I'm just as guilty. Yeah, we're, we, we are absolutely the worst. Trying to put uh, 10 orthopedists in a room and have a, a decision made is absolutely impossible. Because uh, we're all right. I know. Right. Exactly. So did you use, do you use Six Sigma? We did. So this was a project with Oshner. And I'll tell you, Oshner, uh, the health system down here uh, has been phenomenal and, you know, really, really progressive and innovative. Um, we did a Lean Six Sigma project with their supply chain team. And I had no clue what Lean Six Sigma was. They said, I thought it was something from Toyota. Uh, and all of a sudden now I'm doing supply chain stuff. And I didn't even know what supply chain was. Yeah, that's awesome. My oldest is a black belt and he's out in uh, San oh, Diego. Nice. Uh, he's he, he's amazing, loves it, doing a great job. He's just pissed he can't be surfing right now, but it's all good. <laughs> so yeah, walk us through. Just give us a little bit of like, like so so give me like four or five things that you guys do better. So I think, uh, geez, I am my top four. I'll tell you, it's the culture change in the operating room. So the eyes of our scrub techs now light up when we now have a knee replacement to do. Whereas in the past, they were drawing straws about who had to cover these cases. And so to see a scrub tech only six months out from school light up to cover a surgery because they feel so empowered. They want to do this or they enjoy doing the surgery. To me, that is probably the fundamental anchor uh, that makes this go. Because if you can't win the hearts and minds of the people that use whatever it is that you create, forget it. Um, and so when I ask my our scrub techs, our OR staff, circulator, so on and so forth, I mean, they're all arguing and fighting over covering these cases. And so I think when you can change the culture, the environment uh, of whatever it is you're working on, um, that that resonates uh, really uh, deep. Um, you know, and, and the efficiencies and the throughput and, and all the other stuff, I think for me are secondary, but to change people's behavior uh, and give them confidence and empower them, uh, that, that, that's really meaningful. 
So it's almost like air traffic control, right? You're sort of moving parts around. You know where things are. Instead of having six trays, maybe you have one tray. You know, walk us through a little bit. Give me some of the details. I want to know why those scrub techs are so happy. Yeah. So what we've effectively done is essentially digitize and datafy this abstract concept called surgery, right? And so what we do is we onboard a surgeon's technique into our platform. And we basically digitize it in a way that's useful for the OR staff. And so we're going to take that surgical, we onboard the vendor, we link up all the instruments and implants uh, to a technique. So if it's a, a you're doing a knee replacement, for example, they link up the instruments uh, for the distal femoral cut uh, to the distal femur. Uh, you know, they link up the implants that are linked to the different steps of surgery. Then we go in and we ask the surgeon, in about less than 10 minutes, we ask the surgeon, how do you do your surgery? Okay. So intramedullary, extramedullary, whatever it is. And so we bring in those instruments that the vendor had loaded into the system. Then what happens is the OR staff, whether it's the rep, the circulator, the scrub tech, or the surgeon themselves, then bring in all the fine details around that physician's surgery. So when they use retractors, how they use retractors, why they use retractors, hand this retractor to Emily upside down when Dr. Sigmund says the word go, right? And so we take all that raw data and then we reformat it in this on-screen uh, voice control technique guide that's in the operating room. So that technique guide, step-by-step picture guide, essentially, is voice controlled by the scrub tech. So they're mic'd up. So they feel like literally air traffic oh, that's control. That's cool. Yeah, I mean, they're, so, so they're actively involved. They are active, So they're controlling the technology by voice, like Alexa and Siri, and they flip the pages, and they are now three, four steps ahead of me. And I'll put my hand out. Again, a scrub tech only six months out from school. I'll put my hand out, and I get exactly what I want. They're not, change, they're not changing your music, though, are they? <laughs> That's next. Thanks for the thanks for the uh, tip. Yeah, no, that music's very important to me. I heard somebody. I heard somebody that they want to take music away from surgeons because it's disruptive oh, or something. Like, oh my god, please stop! Uh, no, what do you that, play in your OR? Uh, I just no, we just do no, we do Apple Music. <laughs> I put on a channel and everybody's. At, I have I have the uh, they they make fun of me. They tell me I have the music taste of a seventeen year old girl. And I'm okay <laughs> with that. It's all good. So it's Bieber, Wild Wall. <laughs> yeah, you got it. Uh, <laughs> love it, love it. No, that sounds really cool for a tech to be mic'd up and really be able to follow it. They feel empowered. They feel like they're absolutely a part of the process. Yeah, that's really cool. So have you been starting to to get some calls now? Is it quieter? Is it busier? What, what's going no, on? No, we're, we're getting pinged. It yeah. is getting very interesting. And I think uh, a lot of the companies, a lot of the health systems, everyone's starting, you know, even like today, I think we're all starting to see the light at the end of this tunnel. It's, it's, it's getting brighter and brighter, whether it's May 15th or who knows, um, but it's coming. And so I think everyone is, I think everyone's starting to realize, you know, we've got to start planning for, for the post era here. Uh, and so we're, we're getting a lot of uh, uh, inquiries now. Listen, Vin, it was awesome talking to you. I, I love you, man. You're just a thought leader. You're pushing everybody forwards. I'm telling you right now, the LinkedIn people are going to be buzzing in a couple in a couple days when we get this uh, post going. It was really a pleasure to talk to you. Uh, you can listen to us on the Ortho Show at all places in which you listen to podcasts. We want you to please subscribe. This is Dr. Scott Sigmund, hashtag follow the fro host of The Ortho Show. Till next time.